Betrayal comes in many forms, whether we're talking infidelity, lying and deceit, manipulation, or somebody said they were going to do the dishes and they did not. The truth is that most of us have experienced some form of betrayal and its consequences are severe. During this episode, Christy Mears, who is a specialist in counseling people who have experienced this specific form of trauma, helps us to understand what betrayal trauma is and how to overcome it. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. All right, Blenders, we have one of, honestly, my favorite, favorite humans, one of the kindest people that I have ever met an amazing individual an amazing heart uh, my my good friend christy mears is joining us hey christy hello how are you doing i'm doing great yeah i'm super happy to be here with you today and having this conversation and i feel the same about you you and your whole family yeah well thank you so much for taking the time if you can take a moment to inform the listeners as far as who you are, how you operate professionally, and how you uh, serve people. Yeah, so I am a marriage and family therapist, and that means that I work primarily with the interpersonal relationships um, within the family. So that could include, you know, the marriage, um, daughters and sons, and any interpersonal relationship really. So beyond my the degree I have um, in the in the field of psychology, there's many different options and fields to go into after you get the psychology degree. And then beyond that, you can pursue some certification to specialize. So I work primarily with uh, what we call partners, partners in a relationship that have been betrayed, basically. So some of my certifications are around trauma work, um, the partner's work, um, sexual addiction, those types of things. So yeah, I, I kind of do a broad spectrum of work, but but my niche and really my passion in my heart is working with those that have um, been betrayed in relationship. Yeah. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today, that being betrayal, trauma, and its experience, what it does within individuals, as well as how it affects those interpersonal relationships. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking, what do you think brought you into this field? Because as you mentioned, you have worked with an assortment of individuals experiencing all types of different things, whether in struggle or success. So what do you think about this field, this profession drew you in? That's a great question. Well, there's this idea out there, I'm sure that you've probably heard it too, where we help people out of our own pain, out of our own experiences. And so um, ever ever since I was a little girl, I can always remember, uh, you know, being moved towards the people that are in pain and wanting to, you know, support them, come alongside them and not knowing exactly how to do that, but just being a friend or whatever it may be. And then um, as I got older and um, started pursuing the things that I'm passionate about, um, my husband and I, we went into this role of ministry. And then so there I had the opportunity to come alongside people again and just support and be with. And then um, in my own marriage, I have experienced betrayal trauma. And I think that is what really pushed me into wanting to understand more about our brain and body connection and pain and what happens in the body when we're going through trauma. I got really curious about all of that through my own experience um, and really decided that I wanted to pursue this as a career for myself to better um, understand how I can come alongside people and really help support them while they're experiencing that. So, yeah kind of out of my own pain. Here I am. <laughs> this is exactly why the blended podcast exists as well. It, it, it tends to be out of our pain 
that we are the most effective when it comes to serving and supporting people. It's a real thing. Yeah. It absolutely yep. is. I, I love that. God doesn't waste the tears. He doesn't waste the struggle, you know? Um, that's right. That's great. Um, so let me, let's get into the betrayal trauma and let's first start with what it is. What is betrayal trauma? Mm, that, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and if you're experiencing betrayal trauma, you're going to know like what it is. I mean, there's, there's no missing it. It's pretty yeah. intense, but really, um, when trust is broken, in an attached relationship that is an experience of trauma in the brain and the body. Mm -hmm. And so betrayal trauma is just the language we put to help the client help ourselves understand what's happening for us. So um, really it's just a, it's just a title to help us um, understand and process and, and move through that experience. Yeah. So what are some of the ramifications of trauma specifically? Because yes, betrayal trauma is kind of pinpointed and it's made narrow so that it makes the process of healing and understanding easier. But what does trauma do? You mentioned that it does have both an emotional, a mental and a physiological impact on an individual. So what about betrayal trauma kind of causes that? Well, it's interesting. There's some research. Well, it's been out for a bit now, but I think um, there's more and more research coming out around betrayal trauma and the impact on the body and really how it shows up. And what we're finding is that it's very, very similar to PTSD. And it can actually move into that complex PTSD. And the difference between those two things, the PTSD and complex, is The complex is when it's relational and when it's ongoing. So if you think about betrayal in a relationship, um, there's always some level of deceit going on, whether there's lying, whether there's it's withholding information, gaslighting, all of those things. So um, that creates this like ongoing nature of it and the relational aspect of it. And so, yeah, so the PTSD, you know, that shows up in some pretty intense ways. You know, there's, there's um, mood dysregulation, the intrusion of thoughts and flashbacks, even dreams. Uh, It's a pretty intense situation. There's this idea in, well, it's a symptom of PTSD called avoidance. And so what I have experienced with a lot of my clients, and I did experience this myself too, is your world kind of becomes this very small, or there's a temptation, I guess, to allow this to become very small because you're trying to avoid the triggers, avoid the reminders. And so we can't go to this place because that's where this happened. We can't see this person because that's a trigger and that's too painful. So now the 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 life of the partner can become kind of like this this narrow way of living which is really heartbreaking um so i mean those are just three there's there's lots more <laughs> ways that the trauma shows up and how this impacts somebody yeah. yeah and if you can some of those more i guess practical maybe day-to-day symptoms that betrayal trauma produces in an individual what would you how could you identify some of those, you know, the affects, the behaviors, mannerisms, whatever the case, that pinpoint, or, you know, point back to that trauma? Yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking back um, to some, some things that my clients have experienced. So there's, you know, you go into this extreme place of self-doubt mm-hmm. because you are, Maybe you're sensing something is off in your relationship, like you're sensing that um, there's not full truth there. And so maybe you're asking the questions, hey, um, I sense that you're distant. Is everything okay? And then your partner's looking at you in the eyes and saying, oh, yeah, everything's okay. And you don't ask me that question, you know, and you kind of get gaslit or minimize or whatever. And so you start to really disembody and, and distrust self. So there's a major loss of sense of self. Mm -hmm. And I have found that the, that road 
back to self is some of the most painful work that we can do and also the most profound work that we can do. But that's that's one thing that maybe is like top of mind, uh, how it shows up daily. So that loss of sense of self, there's an extreme loss of confidence, um, it especially because generally betrayal has to do with the, well, in a relationship it has to do with the sexuality, um, the sexual nature of a relationship. And so there comes this questioning of that, you know, questioning your own um, um, identities, sexual identity, your own sexual confidence, all, all of that. So that's really devastating as well. Yeah. Um, and then we have the whole umbrella of like the depressive symptoms and um, lack of appetite, I mean, hair loss. And you, we can get into all the biological and physiological symptoms also. Like it impacts my body spirit. So yeah, yeah it's a yeah. heavy, heavy load to bear. Absolutely. And you kind of indicated that it can happen on a scale that could be considered minor in that there hasn't been this identifying of infidelity, for instance, or any apparent abuse or anything like that. But the withholding of information or the, you know, supposed white lies being deceptive and whatnot, and just kind of robbing, let's say, in a marital relationship, your significant other of some of that more intimate information that should be exchanged. Um, mm -hmm. There can be kind of just a, uh, a minimal level of betrayal being experienced and in those circumstances as well is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people will equate betrayal to infidelity. Mm -hmm. But what I've seen is the, the, the partners that come to me um, in my practice, they can show the same level of trauma response mm -hmm. when there's pornography, when there's flirtation. Yeah. When there's um, even just like wandering eyes, I have one client um, who is heartbroken and experiencing all these things that I just listed out with betrayal, trauma, all the symptoms. And the, the thing that's going on in the relationship is the, the wandering eyes. That's the yeah. thing that is just so impacting her mind and body. And I, th I believe that's because these behaviors are a threat feel like a threat to the connection yeah and if the body and heart mind sense that there's a threat to the connection that can be trauma in the body so um yeah it's not just infidelity it's it's a, it's a spectrum of behaviors i i think that really cause the betrayal trauma yeah and this can happen how early in someone's life and stage of development as far as age, as far as the, the impact of something like betrayal um, and experience it, experiencing it as well as its consequences. How early have you seen in your practice this being, you know, being able to point it back to this instance or this surroundings, this relationship? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I've never really thought of it in terms of age range. I would more maybe think of it in around like how connected or how attached were you to the relationship that you experienced betrayal? Yeah. Because, you know, we can experience betrayal from a friend or a family member. And I think the trauma comes in when that attachment is threatened. Yeah. And so that can come from, you know, early on that can come at any age. Um, Cause you know, we're designed to connect and attach. And so that's happening from day one. Um, so does that make sense? Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I didn't, I didn't get the chance to read the book. You may know what I'm referencing, but it's something along the lines of 
trauma keeping score. Um, and I know my wife read it and it was suggested. I looked for it in my house. My wife, my house is crazy. I got a bunch of kids. They probably read it. And then now they're holding something against me, you know, (laughs) Um, but I believe that along, uh, as far as the content of that book, it can point way back to the, as you mentioned, um, those initial stages of connection, because we are built, we are designed for relationship and connection. That's why we start the conception it transpires. A baby is born and there is a mother and a father, um, or there should be like from day one, uh, we are purpose to have connection. And when that is under threat and that it, it comes under threat for so many reasons, And if you can kind of, from what you've seen, what you've assessed, why do you think that it is? Because there is an understanding that connection is important. I feel feel like the average human being understands connection is important. So why is it that people allow themselves or get to a point where they are either sabotaging their connections or they're just functioning in a way that threatens the important the, the importance of relationships from what you've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the thing that comes to mind for me right away when you ask that question is that I think that all of our behavior has a function. And whether it is adaptive or maladaptive behavior, it has come on the scene for a reason. And if we are not intentionally trying to understand what's going on for ourselves, intentionally just coming before the Lord and self-reflecting and connecting to self and God and all of that, then we probably will find ourselves in those situations that you just mentioned, you know, hurting self, hurting others, not intentionally always. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's hardly ever intentional. I just, I think that some of these behaviors where we would lead us towards like disconnection with those around us and those that we love are functioning behaviors that have been, that have been established out of our own pains that we have not yet addressed. You know, we have not yet resolved. And so we find ourselves in these cycles that um, maybe are automatic. Maybe we feel like, man, we just can't help it. This is just who I am. This is just what I do. So just to slow, slow that cycle down and to find somebody, a trusted person that can really kind of unravel that with you and, and try to understand like, what's happening here and what function yeah. is this behavior playing for you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm finding that it's great that resources such as therapy and just getting support and allowing other peoples into our circumstance so that they can assess whether professionally, personally, what's going on to provide support. Um, it's great that that's happening. Um, but there is definitely an issue with connection collectively. Like that's something it's part of the human experience. No one, not one person, I believe, I'm absolutely convinced of this, is going through life absent of experiencing breakage and connection. Um, And, you know, you've talked to a lot of people, a lot of strong individuals as well, a lot of competent people um, that don't want to accept the fact that they may be suffering from some form of trauma and that including betrayal. So how does someone kind of come to realize that they have, in fact, been betrayed? Um, they haven't put the term on it or they haven't accepted it, but they, they kind of realize that that's exactly what's happened and they're suffering as a result. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I briefly mentioned before, like if you are experiencing the symptoms of betrayal trauma, which are lining up with PTSD, um, you know, there's, 
there's no avoiding that experience. And I think it comes down to whether or not you are, um, or somebody is that's facing that is willing to pause and reflect and really take a beat and say, I'm, I'm in some trouble here. This, this is overwhelming for my nervous system and I'm not sure where to go from here. Um, there are people that are so maybe disembodied for lots and lots of reasons and will just kind of try to push on through um, without stopping and noticing and paying attention to what's going on for themselves. And um, I, I believe that comes from a good place in people wanting to be strong, not wanting to hurt, of course, and just wanting to just kind of say, okay, let's just get past this and let's move on. But um, what I have found is that that eventually that pain that is unresolved and unattended to will show up in a whole myriad of ways, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I had a client who was experiencing betrayal trauma and it was um, maybe like five years in and she decided, you know, I'd like to get some support around this. And as we started just kind of exploring her story and I'm asking her, like, tell me about what you're experiencing in your body, what's going on for you. And she's like, Oh, I have a headache. I have a headache right now as I'm talking about this. And I'm just not realizing I've had a headache for about five years. And so that's the type of thing that can uh, go on and maybe the pain gets prolonged, but in different unexpected ways. Like maybe we start um, being really angry, you know, at, at strangers or our kids or our grandma, you know, and we're like, we can't figure out, I'm not an angry person, but here I am so angry, you know, and it's five years later. It's because we didn't take that pause. We didn't stop and notice. We didn't pay attention to what was going on for us. So yeah, I think that is the, that's the cross in the road that the decision that we all have to come to is whether or not so there's whether or not we address what's going on, it's going on. Like it's still happening in the body, in the heart, in the mind. And so we have to decide like, okay, this is going on. Am I going to tend to this and really pay attention and process through this? Or do I just want to kind of try to disembody, ignore that this is happening and just move forward? Yeah. And can you kind of break down what it looks like when somebody is disembodying? Um, because that's so good. And that's exactly what happens. And it has to happen in order for us to keep it pushing, keep doing all the things in spite of whatever the internal experience is. How, what does it look like when somebody is disembodied or disassociating with you know, what's in front of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Yeah, I the the quick overview of disembodying, I just say is disconnection to self and um really kind of like this place of abandoning self, which can get real dangerous real quick. So um what that looks like practically is let's say I am feeling angry. And instead of acknowledging and saying, oh, I'm feeling angry, maybe it's important for me to feel angry right now. And what is this anger about? And how can I safely process this anger? Instead of going through that process, I'm going, oh, I I don't need to feel angry. I shouldn't be feeling angry. I'm not allowed to feel angry. So instead, I'm going to go, you know, eat a piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> That was the first like 35 years of my life. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of practically, I mean, it can show up in a lot of ways, but yeah, that's practically kind of what it looks like. It's just that disconnection or overriding, overriding your intuition, overriding your body, what your body is trying to tell you. 
our, our body's messaging to us all day long, every day. And it might not be the full picture, but it is important information. Oh, my heart's beating faster. Why? Why is my heart beating faster right now? Am I scared? Am I nervous? What's going on? And then when we can embody and pay attention to and really integrate all these things, then we can start asking the question, well, what do I need right now? Do I need support? Do I need some prayer time? Do I need connection with God right now? Do I need a drink of water? Do I need a nap? (laughs) You know, but if we're disembodied, then we have no clue what we need. And so we just continue in this place of deficit and trauma and trauma response. You know, we can't process well. Yeah. And this is, it really starts in the home. It starts when you're a child, as far as your ability to remain embodied, as far as your ability to exercise and the difference, to discern the difference between a want and a need. I've found that a lot of adults that I work with, they didn't have that opportunity to exercise their want muscle. They find themselves in this committed, if not marital relationship. And there are little things happening and there are feelings that they have. And either there's a, a major suppression of those, a dis, you know, the disembodiment that you're referring to, or they are completely convinced that every small feeling that they have is their reality. And mm-hmm. the maturity to kind of overlook those or again, be able to discern whether they need to drink a water a nap where if they need to have a, an adult conversation with their partner, um, those things are difficult to kind of differentiate is what I'm, what I'm finding later. Um, mm, great point. Yeah. So you, there is the spectrum that you, you reference as far as trauma, it's experience, betrayal trauma, what that looks like. Um, and I don't want to consider anything minor necessarily as far as again, the withholding information and things of that nature. But when it comes to the more definitive and blatant forms of betrayal, let's reference specifically just the marriage uh, relationship. What are some of the signs that indicate that betrayal is transpiring, whether that being uh, pornography um, and someone invested in that, whether that be infidelity or flirting outside the relationship or emotionally connecting? with somebody else in the workplace or something like that? What what are some of those minor signs that somebody can pick up on to say or suggest that, hey, this might be this might be kind of going on? Mm. I love that question so much. And I have found this question to be such a journey with my clients and a painful journey because people come into the relationship, believing that they should already know what it looks like to be betrayed. And I should have seen this and I, why didn't I catch this? And then there's so much shame around, I can't believe that I missed the signs. And so I have this conversation a lot with, with my clients around, okay, now that you have that experience of betrayal in your body, like that book, The Body Keeps the Score. So now you have this felt experience of betrayal. Now let's go back and try to maybe learn a little bit more about what was happening in your relationship so that you can be you can create safety for yourself as you move back into intimacy, back into vulnerability. What are the things that now looking back, you can notice and say, oh, that didn't feel quite right to me. This might be an indicator that something's going on. So some of those things I have found to be, if if your partner starts to really minimize um your concern, make light of it or deflect or start to gaslight. I mean, those are pretty major flags, at least to be curious about what's going on here. Why is it my partner holding space for me feeling concerned about this conversation they're having with this other person? 
there should be, if there's complete transparency and that place of intimacy and vulnerability, there should be kind of this like free flow of, of conversation going back and forth. If you're detecting a lot of defensiveness, why are you asking me that? You're, I, I'm allowed to have this conversation. I'm allowed to have, I'm entitled to this relationship outside of, you know, at, at work or outside of my marriage. You know, that one might be a red flag. <laughs> um, some of the more like subtle things that I have seen is um, when there's a sudden change in the chaos of the other person's world that can really be something to look into and to stop and ask some more questions around because when somebody else, when somebody's engaging in some sort of deception or trying to hold something together in secret oftentimes other parts of their world will start to kind of collide or fall apart and so um it's a lot of work to live in deception it's a lot of dots you're having to constantly connect and keep the worlds apart and all of that. And so uh, oftentimes partners will come to me and say, um, I don't know. I just have this feeling like things feel a little unorganized and out of control. And, you know, sometimes he's running to the store and it's taking 10 or 20 or 30 more minutes than usual, you know, stuff like that, that, you know, we just have to kind of pause and and not be afraid to ask more questions. Hey, what's going on here? And their response to the questions, um, that is information for the partner. That's just information gathering. How are they responding to you asking the question? Like that is a huge indicator. Are we on the same page? Yeah. Yep. And concerning the marriage relationship, I feel like it's a collective just struggle for people to realize that it really is supposed to be this intimate and strong, imperfect connection with another human being. And when it comes to how you, the, the ebbs and flow, the rhythms of life, there's such, there's supposed to be such a, um, not just a desire to be connected, but the efforts made on both ends to be connected. That's what it's supposed to look like. And when there are issues that arise, when there are um, resistors, whatever that looks like, when there is, does seem like there is an issue of flow, then it's a cause for pause. It's okay to, to reflect, to ask questions. And you were dead on as far as I was just talking to a, a client last week. Uh, about specifically when you ask questions, the response is a lot of information, not just what comes out of their mouth, but mannerisms, the way they say, the way they deliver and all of the above. Um, but it, it really is just supposed to be this special, powerful, intimate and close in that relationship. But you've run into so many people that aren't experiencing that. Yeah. 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 And that gets a little, a little like complex. Um, because it's really easy for somebody to feel that they are being like checked up on or, you know, and nobody wants to be in that like parenting role where they're saying, Hey, I'm watching you. You better not misstep here. <laughs> you know? So I, I like to recommend to my clients or, or help them learn to say, to approach these questions around what's happening for them to really take ownership of, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. Can you help me understand? Or can you give me some reassurance for, and that's in support of myself. And so that's a really embodied way to move towards intimacy. So it's not instead of going, Hey, I saw you talking to that person and I need to know more about that. Of course, somebody is going to feel defensive, like, whoa, don't come at me, you know, whether or not they're doing anything wrong or not. That's going to be a natural first instinct. 
And so it's really important to learn how to enter into that free flow of openness and communication. I think we both, both partners have a role and responsibility in creating that safety for one another to come into that free flow of communication. It's a really good point. Really, really good. Um, and my next question, uh, how does someone protect themselves from betrayal? Um, I, that's obviously going to be pretty difficult <laughs> in, in marriage. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you are connected to human beings, there will be degrees of betrayal that you experience, whether it's something that was done intentionally, unknowingly, or purposefully, you know? So how does someone protect themselves from betrayal? Mm. Yeah. I mean, right. When I hear you ask that question, it just like pings my heart because I think that's the very nature of why this is so painful is because we can't, we can't control the other person's actions and their decisions. And so we're entering in fully into these committed, vulnerable places with our partners trusting that they're going to tend to that really special place of our soul that we're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm committing this part of me to you. And when um, they don't tend to that properly, I mean, that's where the betrayal comes in. But I think that that's the very nature of the betrayal is um, the vulnerability of the relationship, if that makes sense. So, it, it would be difficult to get to that really vulnerable, inter- intimate place in a relationship if I'm saying, I'm just going to stay on guard just in case you decide to betray me. And I, because I really want to protect myself from that experience. You know, your relationship's going to only go so far. And so you are, you know, you're moving into this space of like complete oneness with another person. And um, it's really hard to protect yourself from pain in, in that space. Yeah. How do you, how have you found that people can, should uh, attempt to protect themselves when it comes to children, when it comes to their children or stepchildren and just that parent child relationship? So you mean like in the context of betrayal? Um, when it comes to whether betrayal, mistreatment, because, you know, these, I listened to a guy who is very clear on the fact that we're imperfect human beings. We have this, this nature that is not in our best interest. Um, so we, even babies, he calls them, you know, a viper and a diaper, you know, so even the little people, even the little people are capable of doing something that harms us, of betraying us, and so to speak, in one way or another. Again, whether they mean it intentionally or they don't, they're just being a child. So how does someone kind of guard their heart um, but still remain in that position of service to a child? Mm, wow. Yeah. I, I hear your question. I mean, it, it's such an important question to be asking because as parents, like we do have responsibility to protect our children. And yeah, I'm just wondering about like, what about the, what do you think about this approach of um, normalizing our human experiences? So that includes the suffering and the pain that we all face as humans and training our children to know what to do with that, with that experience in them, helping them understand, like, this is a part of our human experience is to go through and to co-suffer together. So equipping them to be embodied, to listen to their intuition, to move closer to Jesus when there's pain, to surround yourself with support, you know, training children with that. And then also really doing our best part to be in that role of, I will like, you know, God, I think God just 
paints such a beautiful picture of the protector when he says things like, come into the shelter of my wing. You know, I think that's such a good guide for parents too. their children. Like I got you um, and I'm going to do my very best to protect you from the explicit pain situation, painful situations, but also as humans, we are going to experience, especially if we believe in connection, if we believe in being attached, you know, we we're wanting our kids to attach to others and other healthy people, you know? And so um, if we want that for our kids, then it's likely they're also going to experience the, the flip side, which, which can be painful. Yeah. I really liked that, that uh, statement of normalizing suffering. And it sounds like an oxymoron or something, two words that should not coexist, but they absolutely should. When you, you bring up, and I, I imagine I visually see that picture of coming up under a wing. And when you do that, you're closer to the heart. And that means you're positioning yourself for vulnerability, for, for hurt. And the ability, our ability to process that and to keep it in the right perspective makes all the difference when it comes to our relationship with our kids, our ability to, to raise them as we should. Because if you have a child older than three years old, they probably hurt you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. what way, shape or form. I remember my youngest, she would spend time over my wife's sister's place and her, her husband was there, um, that being her uncle. And they would spend a couple of mornings together for some hours. And then there was a point where she would like run to him instead of me. And that was a major being in the blended family situation. I'm just yeah. like, all right, mine, at least my blood, my flesh, let that be my, my property, so to speak. So that just killed that desire in me. And it was just like, all right, that hurts. Like, I'm not going to lie. That hurts. What am I going to do with it? This is a little girl. And she is, she has the freedom to connect with. And I want her to be able to connect with the adults that are in her life. And I want to allow for that to happen. I'll, it's not a matter of just like sucking it up. I had to do the process of why does this hurt so much? <laughs> and, so and great, Jeremiah. How, how am I going to respond? Not just for my child, but in this relationship with her uncle and her auntie. Because they were loving it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what am I going to do? Um, and it really did come down to dying to myself a bit, um, growing up, maturing. And again, like normalizing the suffering. It, 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 it hurts. And my hurt is pretty selfish in this, in this uh, instance. So, so good. Normalizing suffering. I'm going to steal that from you for sure. Yeah. That's really good. That's awesome. Can I just add one thought to your original question around this too? For sure. Yeah. I was thinking a, a way that we could protect our children is to help them dis, help them learn what safety feels like in their own body. Help them learn how to trust their in, intuition. So when they're making these connections with other people, they're able to say, oh, I know what safety feels like. And this connection feels safe to me, you know, and then when they're not feeling that safety to really make space to have that conversation with parents, with trusted adults and for the trust for the trusted adult to validate what's going on for that child so that um, that is like now an embodied experience for them where they can say, oh, this is what un unsafe feels like in my body, an unsafe connection. And I know what to do with this. I know that I'm not obligated to take this further, you know. So I think that's another good way that we can help protect our children from these experiences is to train them early on how to connect to safety, how to connect to that inner voice inside of them. Um, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so good. It, it does start at a very early age. And then once it's a part of your wiring, 
and you've already set up that that healthy protection entering into those friendships later on in life in elementary middle school high school and then the the relationship that will be um there's so much damage and hurt that's avoided as a result of the the healthy um standards values that are established when a child can recognize safety in relationships it's very good that's awesome um, well, last question I'll ask is how do people recover after ending a relationship and how do they decide whether getting back together is an option for them or staying together? Mm, that again, such a great question. And I think the question that is probably most commonly asked in the work, I, do I stay or do I go? And it is such a question. Um, so maybe I'll share a little bit of my own experience with this, if that's okay. And then, um, well, maybe I'll just start with this idea. Um, I always ask the client, how is the other person responding to your pain? And how is the other person responding to what's happened? Because in order to stay in a relationship where there's been betrayal and trust has been completely broken, there has to be so much commitment to both people doing that work to repair. The betrayed person cannot do all the work. The person that did the betraying cannot do all the work. It has to be this mutual commitment to move forward. And it's a long, hard journey. And so they have to be committed for the entire journey. When it came to my own experience with this, I remember there was a moment where I realized, well, first I was just dealing with so much of the feelings of this is so unfair. It's like somebody had done something to me that now I was responsible to clean up internally. Like I'm in this betrayal trauma place that is causing so much havoc in my own life. And now I have to take ownership of that pain and that wound and process that. So I was dealing with so much like, this is so unfair, (laughs) you know? And I remember coming to this crossroads where I realized I am left with two decisions that are both hard. I was looking for a decision that, meant I didn't have to hurt anymore. But that doesn't exist. That didn't exist. Either decision to stay or to go involved pain. And that was kind of like a mind shift for me throughout the whole process. I shifted from how can I stop hurting? What do I need to tend to this experience that's going on inside of me? What kind of support do I need? How do I process this pain? Not how do I get out of it? How do I walk through it? So that that kind of shifted my perspective of what was going on. And it helped me make a decision knowing like, okay, to run, to go, to get out felt like a, like some relief. (laughs) You know, I felt like, oh, there could be some relief there. I wouldn't have to feel this way. But there's a different kind of pain that you face and you have to process through divorce. You know, there's a whole, that's, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. You know, you go through. And also for some divorce is the right and safe decision. I think it really depends on the response of both parties and are they committed how is the other person responding? In my situation, my partner was 1 million percent committed to doing the deep work in his own heart, which created safety for me to stay, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And as you are now and you're speaking about it, which is amazing, it's pretty miraculous that you're on the other side of experiencing that form of trauma and, and you are a testament of the fact that if both parties are committed, like we can arrive at a point where we were together 
and the marriage is intact. Um, so how is that for you? I guess I lied about the last question. How is how is it for you <laughs> being at this point um, with so much time removed from just all that's transpired and be, being able to speak on it? How is that? I feel such a deep honor to be in this space to walk alongside men and women who are facing this. Um, there are just moments here and there where I feel the pain on a deep level, a personal level, maybe if somebody's story feels similar, but it's pretty, it's now I have the tools to regulate, to kind of bring myself back to safety in my own body, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's pretty, um, what's the word fleeting, I guess. But um, looking back, I think that the last, let's see, it's been about 12 years for us, almost 12 years. I would say that that's the process of forgiveness and reconciliation has probably been some of my best life work. Like it, it takes everything, I think. And I would say sometimes it takes more than you have to give. But looking back, it's it's probably some of the most profound work that one can do is come to, you know, experience reconciliation and forgiveness and um, that coming back together and or just the healing process, because not it's not for ev- not everybody comes back together. Not everybody reconciles, but healing is available for every person whatever that looks like for them. So that process, it's just such a profound experience. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. You are, again, a testament of not just what it means to overcome betrayal trauma, but uh, healing, the, the restoration and the fullness that an individual can live with. There are so many people, as you know, that are lacking that don't know that this is available to them fullness of life and having hope and having experienced something that attempted to destroy you. And yet here you are victorious in your person and in your relationships. Like that's a, that's an incredible thing. And I'm so glad that you're using this gift to serve other people because there's a need. There's definitely a need. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for taking a moment to speak to the blenders and blessing them. I, I hope that some of the information, I know that this information is going to be of extreme value and I appreciate you for it. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's a true honor to be here with you and all the blenders. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Uh... Thanks for tuning in. I hope you heard something throughout the episode that could make all the difference. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that blended goodness. Episodes are up and running on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.